0: Welcome to an interview episode of Highly Informed brought to you by Benzinga. I'm your host, John Pirro. Now, before we get to an awesome interview, I want to note that any opinions I express are my own and not those of my law firm Greenspoon Martyr or of Benzinga. Uh, And as always, I like to do a quick prayer to the video chat gods. May our Wi-Fi connections be sturdy, all dogs and children remain quiet, and may Amazon Prime another time. Amen. Now, I have the pleasure of introducing Jason Nelson, the CEO of Belief Medical. They are a single state operator in Missouri. So, Jason, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me and chat.
1: Yeah, great to be with you, John. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So obviously, you know, Missouri right now is kind of a hot state in terms of, you know, having crossed over to uh, adult use. So I'm kind of curious to know some of your thoughts as you were a medical operator uh, vertical and kind of the transition and how that's played out, in, in your opinion.
1: Yeah, that's a, always a fun observation, right? All of these new markets uh, are unique. And so, you know, for Missouri's sake, um, you know, and I, I certainly have experience in other markets. I was six years with a large MSO out of Chicago prior to coming to B-leaf. Um, You know, the unique thing about Missouri is that while we are a limited license state, we still had a relatively – uh You know, uh, robust amount of licenses certainly for a consuming population uh, allotment. So you have something like 200 plus retail brick and mortar outlets, which is you know high for a Midwest market compared to someone like Illinois. And then too, 60 uh, 60 plus cultivators operators that are producing some type of products. So what that made for in a medical market, unfortunately, was a very uh, constrained market, you know, difficult operating conditions, tough to become cash flow positive because you had all of this production and you, you still had that relatively small subset of folks who were willing to become a medical patient uh, to be able yep. to access your products. So you you take that foundation then and it's transitioned really well into an adult use market um, that, you know, compared to other markets that have launched uh, in a similar fashion, going medical to adult use. You know, we didn't have to limit purchases right out of the gate as we did in Illinois, for example. Um, And, you know, customers didn't necessarily have to drive a long way from their particular residence, regardless of where they live in the state of Missouri. Right. You have uh, certainly strong uh, number of dispensaries here in the St. Louis area where my suede uh, dispensaries are. Kansas City is a very hot, robust market. Likewise, all of those border uh, dispensaries they' uh, next to what like, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, you know, none of those states have any type of program uh, you know even being discussed. Um, and so you know t- for that relationship of strong inventory levels, strong relationships to retail brick and mortar, we saw a relatively quick normalization of purchasing patterns uh, over the course of uh, Q1, Q2. I mean, since we've launched in February. And in truth, in uh, you know, over the summer months and now into fall, we've seen a typical market trend of of leveling off, if not declining a little bit month over month as we get towards the, the Q3, Q4, uh, quote unquote, croptober relationship. That still is a, that's a real outcome. But, you know, I, yeah. I think for for year number one, it's been a relatively successful launch. Uh, you know, we've had some interesting curveballs. Uh, you know, we can certainly talk about some regulatory curveballs that we're working through. But, you know, overall, I, th- I think it is. It's going relatively successfully.
0: I mean, I think it's very interesting as a point of comparison, right? This, as you said, so much of this infrastructure was there on the medical side, you know, arguably when there are limited conditions or everything, right? There was a lot, as you said, so it was a struggle. But what did that make for a relatively seamless transition to adult use? And, you know, by comparison, I'm sitting here, you know, in New York. Right, in which you know there were a lot of the MSOs, multi state operators, owning the vertical medical, right? They were not permitted to cross over. And what happened instead, you have this proliferation of, I think, in most recent count, you know, uh, 8,000 illicit stores in New York City alone. And we are what more than two and a half years from passage of the bill, and we have 23 stores open. Um, So I think it's just like a real kind of point of comparison where, <laughs> you know, Missouri didn't have that kind of issue. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, the kind of the gap between decriminalization um, and adult use market launch, who does that help, right? You know, the illicit market, you know, uh, ultimately. So I'm curious now. So you've crossed over. It seems like it's been, you know, relatively seamless. As you said, there's some regulatory things that have to be, you know, have to have to shake out a little bit. Um, I was curious to know what you're kind of, you know, referring to and how it's affecting the adult use industry in Missouri.
1: Right. Um, well, you know, so yeah, um, a couple of key things, outcomes this year that, you know, it's as I've been through this six, seven times now with medical to adult use market transitions, there's always things that surprise you, right? There's things that, that haven't necessarily happened before. So, you know, a key one, if folks saw in the news of uh, some a regulatory crackdown on either inverted distillate products, i.e. distillate coming into the back door of a manufacturer, uh, either sourced from Delta-9 hemp extractions uh, and or in some cases possibly sourced from the illicit market, maybe out of state in uh, neighboring states like Oklahoma, for example. And so, you know, that particular relationship to gray market distillate is not new. You know, if you think back to Michigan, maybe it's been six to 12 months ago now that Michigan basically says, hey, we understand that there's this gray market distillate that's coming into the back doors of facilities that needs to stop. Uh, and going forward, that's not allowed. Well, what Missouri said is like, well, hey, you know, we see this is coming in, uh, one, either from the illicit market or two, that it, it was allowable to bring in help con- hemp converted uh, Delta 9 distillate under the medical market that changed under the adult use market. And so what Missouri opted to say, instead of, uh, hey, we need to stop this going forward, we said, hey, this is going to stop forward, but we're also going to put any products that might be suspect on hold and and put a public recall in place or like. Likewise, uh, intermediary source materials at, say, extraction labs, if they had a suspicion that you would have brought in um, some distillate, then there was uh, products that were put on hold at manufacturers, um, and that's that's relatively new, right, because the, the challenge that the state bumps into is the state also has to say, listen, we're issuing this recall for any of these products made, but these products are safe for public consumption because they went through the testing um, outcomes, right, and that's one of the biggest challenges that you had unwitting manufacturers who were buying distillate with the COA in hand. Right. So they have a certificate of analysis from our state certified labs that says, hey, this passes all the criteria. It's safe for public use. Uh, and I believe that that in hindsight, certainly that the state regulatory body could have said, um, hey, you know, these are safe for public consumption. We don't need to go through the recall. However, we just want this activity to stop going forward and we're going to be uh, you know, levying punishments against firms who uh, we believe are doing this so that that was a key surprise for us last one i'll finish with uh, to your point so medical market very successful right Uh, i think anybody in the missouri medical market or any medical market for that example can say you know hey we really just don't have that many unintended consequences right we we have child resistant packaging for example we have you know clear uh certificates of analysis that show there's none of these contaminants in heavy metals pesticides so on and so forth so rather than just letting those existing medical packaging laws carry forward into an adult use market, the regulatory body said, "Hey, we need to now require a bunch more information on this uh, testing label. We also need to go through uh, packaging approval for any type of packaging that's going to be sold in the market, even if that packaging had was legal under medical." And so, unfortunately, as the states tried to roll this out, uh, when they started the packaging approval process, it crashed metric that day. You know, then they had to pull that back and say, "Okay, now we're going to." put it through an online portal that you go through, and and that still hasn't come to fruition with a successful link. So as an operator, we're a bit stuck in limbo, uh, and I'm fortunate, uh, you know, as a vertically integrated operator, hey, I've got a corporate function that can focus on this, that can make sure that we are compliant, even if we're totally ambivalent, where unfortunately, you've got smaller operators that, hey, this takes a lot of resources to redesign all your packaging, for example, or not only redesign it, but then uh, send it in for approval and wait three months for it to get approved before you can transition. So, uh, of the new things, the new exciting things that are happening in Missouri, those are are some challenges that you know. While those are specifically uh, unique, they're they're not new, right? I, you know, any cannabis yeah. operator out there is going to say, "Hey, I got to plan on some weird stuff happening and and save some rainy day funds to deal with it."
0: Yeah, as we as we were joking before, never a dull moment in the dope game, right? These things yeah. aren't necessarily. New, but it's the iteration and the combination of them. Now, in terms of like the packaging and labeling, I mean that is not something that you see so often in other states. I feel like in terms of needing the pre-approval, was this under the auspices of uh, packaging that's not you know kid appealing? Uh, I just I'm curious to know the background about. Yes,
1: yeah, public safety, right? Public um, safety. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess in an adult use um, assumption that there could potentially be more exposure. Um, you know, even though you obviously have to check an ID to come into a dispensary, obviously we have uh, similar restrictions on public advertising and some of those things. And I'll I'll easily say, listen, we don't need a Joe Camel of cannabis out there, right? You know, it's it's still prohibited yeah. to have animals and cartoon characters. That that's all fair game. But when you talk about, hey, it can't have more than three primary colors on a package, for example, or it has to be, yeah, the the colors have to be limited to the logo itself. You you really are. You're starting to, I think put yourself in a position of, one, extra work for everybody that's not necessary, and two, there was just not this consensus of like, oh, dear goodness, we've got so many um, unintentional minor consumption events because this package is too colorful. I mean, right, that's a tough argument.
0: It, it, it's just it, I think it's like very frustrating for us in the industry, right? Because like you'll be reading these regulations and you get to some point where it's like this is completely arbitrary, right? Is there anything behind this whatsoever? It's just, you know, some regulator writing something that seemed to kind of make sense to them. And yet, you know, when you look at statistics, what happens in states that legalize, right? Teenage consumption goes down, right? right. Illicit market gets a dent, right? They can't get it. Uh, any, you know, studies that I've seen in terms of different states, right? Are miners being able to go into these stores and buy products? No, because they get corded. Uh and, and so it just like, it, it seems so arbitrary and absurd. I mean, when you get into something, you're saying like the number of colors and where the colors can be, right? I think we could all agree. And, and that's why I think it's kind of interesting almost that I wish that there was like, we could do some thought leadership to push these regulators on the way in, right, like, say, all the states surrounding Missouri that are some of the real stragglers, you know, nationally, um, that when they come in, that there's not this, like, arbitrary, oh, three colors instead of four colors, you know, like, why? <laughs> you well, know?
1: I'll say, we too, we, as an operator, we always extend those all in branches to regulators, right? You know, coming out of yep. Illinois, any of those programs, you know, it's like, listen, you guys are going to be our watchdog, but we also, we need you as our advocate. And, too, is a relationship of saying, more than happy to uh, consult on what's worked in other markets. And otherwise, listen, I have a bias as an operator, but we don't want a situation where you do put operators in an exceedingly difficult position because federal taxes and cost of capital already do that, right?
0: Yes, e- exactly, right? I mean, I, and I always say, like, the, I always do a disclaimer when talking about regulators that always have good intentions. It's not a function of that or not, right? Safe, consistent market products benefit us all, um, you know, so I want to make that caveat belatedly. Um, so in terms of belief, you know, as a brand geek trademark lawyer, one of the things that always interests me is, you know, the different brands that you folks have for the dispensary and, and then the underlying products and kind of the thinking behind that. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that for belief.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously, I, you know, I brought my expertise from an MSO um, in my previous life to an existing um, company with B-Leaf and and something like our suede brand was established before I got here. That's our retail. I've got five suede stores around the St. Louis area. And for me, that's a very well positioned brand to speak to who is currently consuming uh, in a way of saying, well, uh, it's accessible product, but it's also very comfortable to order online, pick up quickly, get yourself in and out. And then, you know, I know we'll talk more about it, but uh, for a retail brick and mortar that has to speak to future demographics that aren't necessarily involved right now. So think, you know, uh, older than a Gen X, for example, still shows some hesitance to go into a dispensary. I'm proud that if you do are your first time customer or maybe someone who is, um, you know, a little bit reticent about it, you know, you still have that relationship of being able to come in, have a conversation after we've checked your ID of like, well, I'm brand new to this. What, What do you recommend? And then, you know, that starts a five minute conversation associated with what someone might Might be trying to get out of their cannabis consumption event, and I I know we we have a a better relationship with that than say other markets I've seen where firms have gone adult use. It kind of turns into what I consider the best buy of cannabis, where hey, order at that kiosk. I don't have time to have the conversation. Get up front to get your orders. Get out and on your way. So that. I'm proud that our, our suede retail brand is, is navigating that successfully, right? Um, so then on, on the wholesale production side, uh, so my main brand, uh, is Sense, short for Sense Again, this brand existed before I joined Bee Leaf, but that does that, that carves out, uh, every existing consumer out there who's looking for a better, uh, category product, right? It's not the most expensive on the market, whether it's flour, vape, or edibles. It's also not the lowest price on the, the market, which I'll talk about my value brand in a second. But, you know, since uh, as that in, entire brand suite is the number two brand suite in all the state, and that's something we take a lot Congrats. of pride in that. Yeah, I'd say, you know, a, the experience, as you know, to say take, uh, you know, an existing successful brand and then scale it three to four X, right? You know, the automation required in that, the checks and balances, the quality. Uh, oversight that is required. So that's an exciting one for us. And, um, you know, Amend has always been around. Amend is our, our medical brand that we opted to not cut when we went to adult use. So you've got topical suppositories, transdermal uh, bombs. Uh, last one I'll close with, we just uh, have been working through our launch of our Culture Collective brand. It's KUKO for short. And, uh, you know, the whole notion of the Culture Collective is that, uh, you know, we wanted to focus on a brand that is is very inclusive across all cultures that uh, consume cannabis, right, across every demographic. So you're, you're certainly talking race, gender, age, uh, but then notably socioeconomic diversity. And so, you know, a key component of the KUKO brand, one, it, it is positioned as a value brand. So, uh, you know, while it's the same general quality that I have in my sense category, it really is. It's focused on how do I uh, make a, a flower product that's at a, a much lower price point, for example, for someone who is uh, capital constrained, cash constrained these days. These are These are tough times for everybody with their discretionary income. Um, Same into the bait category. Uh, We'll launch Cucco Edibles as we get into next year. But then a key component of one, making uh, cannabis products in a value brand uh, affordable. Then two, taking that particular brand and partnering it with some amazing artists uh, that we have here in St. Louis uh, under that notion of full diverse representation. Right. So it's it's not only a a hip hop representation, for example, it could also be a a transgender representation. We had an amazing faded event with uh, Maxi Glamour. Um, and it is you. You really want to have cannabis positioned for what it is, and that's something that can bring value, benefit to anybody who opts to consume it responsibly. And that that's exciting for us with that uh, brand.
0: So, I mean, so that's very interesting to me. First off, as a trademark geek, I love the fact that these are all made up words. Like, <laughs> that's right. that's great, right? From uh, from a brand trademark perspective, that's fantastic. So then, so I, as you said, so as you approach, like, so Kuko is. As you said, it's, it's focused on price point, right? And catering to everyone at the price point. And that's the differentiating factor that, you you know, went with there. Since, I guess, you know, we could say more caters to the canisters, as we say, right? Because it's about high-grade flour, which is the most common thing that the canisters are consuming because they know their strains, their terpene profiles, you know, if they've gone that far. Um, mm-hmm. And so I see that in terms of, like, the, the thinking behind it um i'm curious to know in terms of you know as things you know have transitioned over to adult use like you said so cuco is like you're working this on the way up that's a function of macroeconomic factors more than anything uh that you're gonna you know build out and then i'm kind of curious to know we're still in early days in adult use um but i want you to um you know before we wrap up kind of you know put on the uh toker domus or smoker domus You know, like it's a wizard hat, looks like a joint, you know, sleeves and everything. And I'd be curious to know your predictions in terms of how, you know, Missouri adult use is going to flesh out over the next, you know, several years and everything. Um, Are we going to see some of the issues that have cropped up in other markets that are more mature or not? I'm curious to know your thoughts, Jason.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, let's start with kind of the, the public consumption outcomes, right? So as I said earlier, hey, you know, everybody believes at some point um, the current consuming demographics who are not engaged with cannabis, so call it older than Gen X, you know, that, that's a very spotty relationship to that age demographic who is willing to try cannabis in some form or iteration. And we know that those, those demographics will continue to increase their engagement in the space. However, you know, a key thing for us is what we've determined here in Missouri is that it's not enough to have access to convenient dispensaries. Right. It's not enough to, um, you know, have a, a nice, good, better, best skew structure across every uh, uh, form factor. Right. So we've had plenty of edibles. We have got plenty of beverages. We even have uh, capsules and otherwise. So for, for us, as I manage these trends coming into next year, it's like, hey, the legacy consumer is still there. You know, we were talking about potency earlier and to say, Hey, uh, really, my highest velocity skews right now are if I come out with a thousand milligram single chocolate bar, for example, you know, like those really high dose, those folks are still engaged. They're still purchasing at a, a greater velocity. And so then the question becomes, okay, how do I normalize cannabis for the rest of the demographics that are involved? And we're excited to launch some new, excited to launch some new initiatives along the lines of uh, more information sed- sessions associated with a lifestyle event, right? So maybe it is yoga moms that can come in and have an information session at a dispensary, uh, you know, maybe it is a, an information session that goes to an assisted living community that says, listen, we can't make health claims associated with this, but here's our anecdotal reports. Here's some research out of Israel that says, listen, a two and a half milligram, uh, dissolvable tablet or a gel cap, uh, RSO may well be, uh, if nothing else, a lifestyle supplement that can help your endocannabinoid system modulate. Or if you are really struggling with some chronic conditions, cancer or otherwise, there are anecdotal reports out there that this could be of value to you. Uh, And now that being said, uh, you know, there still is a bunch of uh, unknowns about how to properly prescribe cannabis for someone with a heart condition, for example. If you get an elevated heart rate, we know that a sativa might, uh, you know, play negatively into that. So, you know, I I don't see that. I see that starting to take hold in 2024. But, you know, of everything that we've seen, and I've been at this for 10 years now in regulated cannabis, is that the legacy folks... If they can afford your products, if they can stay engaged, uh, do so. Uh, and that's a big challenge for us too, that we know a market right next door in Illinois, for example, has an equivalent number of adult use purchases as it does as illicit market purchases, right? You can, there's data that shows through surveys that, hey, their pricing with the taxes, everything in place, it alienates a good subsection of consumers that just go back to the illicit market. And so what I need to say, you know, to your last question on, increase production. I know my competitors are are growing more canopy next year being constructed now will launch. I'm going to do the same thing. So prices are going to come down, right? And then you yep. have to understand if I my prices are going to come down, can I have that quality value conversation with those lower socio income purchasers to say, "Listen, I have a product for you." Please don't risk your health by going to an illicit market, even if uh, you know it's the best grower you guys know. There, there could be heavy metals in that. There, they could be using a pesticide. Seventy
0: percent tests positive for pesticides, right? right. Not, like not too long ago. Very good argument to not go with the illicit market,
1: right? So, very you much. know, having that conversation in twenty twenty four is big for us because you see a market like Michigan, hey, number two market in the country with some very low prices, right? You have great engagement, Now you get some tourism from other states that are around there, but. For us in Missouri, I think it's about navigating that, and you know we'll have that same problem that a lot have had of had I'm gonna pay my federal taxes on this good chunk of first year adult use revenue, and I might be trying to do that next year when prices have come down you know I think I get a little bit of break there, but we've seen that schedule three times. schedule <laughs> three right? yeah I'm not planning on it, but it'd be great right uh um, no you
0: can't you can't plan on it, but I mean that would be amazing, obviously the biggest game changer for the industry and in, you know well ever um but I so, yeah, so I understand. And so, I mean, also, it sounds like, you know, it's almost like, you know, Cuco in the launch of, as you said, kind of like the lower price tier is almost anticipating, right, this transition that all markets see as they, you know, continue and there's a larger supply and everything. So it seems like that was quite deliberate. I would say from based on experience from I, I see the poster in the uh the background there, right? Yep, around in the corner, Cresco Labs. There we go. Um, so that's just that you know that experience translating over, right? You've been through this before. Um, and I think that kind of shows like strategically. Um, and then I'm just curious, you know, to think that I mean, I guess Missouri going forward five years down the road, you just see um No, I'm curious. I mean, do you think that it plays out where it's something similar, where there's some attrition, right, Uh, as you see in some of these mature markets? I mean, you cited Michigan, right, with the price crash, you know, how things are going. The interesting thing is their sales, right, are going up because they're right. So consumers could be happy, obviously not necessarily the healthiest for the, you know, the industry overall or certain participants. I'm curious to know your thoughts in terms of, you know, Missouri five years from now, like what we can expect to see.
1: Right you know, a byproduct of having so many licenses, you're right, you know, 60 plus cultivators, producers, another 30 manufacturers take away brick and mortar retail, for example. So you're right, you're certainly going to see consolidation in the next year, you're going to have some of those single site operators. Uh, and two, obviously, that that product recall and inversion really did overly impact those who can only manufacture a product because those folks have to buy in a distilled or a source material, right? So, um, you know, there will be certainly some impact to those smaller business units, uh, single site dispensaries may just take advantage from consolidation, right? They might Say, listen, I, if I align with a vertical operator, whether it's a true merger or a, just a, a buyout, for example, that, that could be an easier road than trying to navigate this volatility in the wholesale supply markets. What I would say for Missouri that, that that will happen the next two years, but really to your point on, uh, you know, call it outcomes of rescheduling that do let us, you know, comfortably branch out of our borders. And if it means that, listen, um, you know, maybe a place like Oklahoma actually has some value because you can hub and spoke down into Texas. So as you know, like Texas is the last huge population that really has. Uh, Even a a dim prospect, interesting low potency program right now. But, um, you know, for folks that are clearly stuck engaged in the illicit market down there, it'd be a relatively easy value brand proposition uh, for them to be able to say, uh, listen, we want to have access to a regulated product. So, you know, Missouri is well positioned as a Midwest operator to uh, to really lend its expertise down there and watch the wave over on the East Coast, too. Right. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Oh, yes. The East Coast is never, you know, never a dull moment. I could attest to that personally. But um, Jason, I just want to, you know, thank you for joining and stuff. I really appreciate your time. You know, I'm glad to see how things are progressing in Missouri and, you know, onward and upward. Thank Thank you, you,
1: John. Appreciate your work in the space.